With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. hangover ricky no andrew yet he'll be joining us shortly the virginia tech basketball program is back in the big dance as a 10 seed they'll be taking on seventh seed florida in the first game of the round of 64 on friday afternoon yes friday afternoon not thursday this year because it's covid and things are weird but we got some stuff to get to beforehand first off how you doing why does Andrew think that he can just come in whenever he wants? Like he's yeah. What is he doing? Like, like, <laughs> like we, we, we set a few hours ago, we set a hard time for the pod and here's Andrew again, just kind of like, you know, Oh, I'll, I'll get there when I get there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this, this is a no fly by night operation here. Um, you know, we're a professional podcast. Um, <laughs> so when Andrew gets here, I'm going to let him do the Main Street Pharmacy read because he's a lot better at it than I am. So we'll we'll hold off on. In short, go to Main Street Pharmacy in Blacksburg. Yeah, and yeah. Andrew sure. will expand on that later. Yeah, we'll leave the uh, presentation of our sponsor uh, to the one and only only Andrew Alex. All right, let's start here, Ricky. Uh, Virginia Tech lost to North Carolina. They played their first game in 11 days in the ACC quarterfinal. Late last week, uh, Hokies fell to North Carolina, eighty-one to seventy-three. Virginia Tech, I thought, in the first half came out, played with more energy than I anticipated, given the layoff. Um, kind of blitzed North Carolina early and just kind of hung with them a bit better than I anticipated early. Um, second half, things started to kind of spiral out of control. North Carolina was coming off of a game against Notre Dame where. They absolutely cleaned up on the offensive glass. Virginia Tech did a decent job keeping North Carolina off the offensive glass early, but their size really contributed to the second half run that the Tar Heels went on to eventually close the door on Virginia Tech, 81 to 73. So Ricky, let's start here. What were your first impressions of the Hokies after this layoff, this latest layoff? Because we've now seen the Hokies come back now two different times from you know, a COVID pause. How, how do you feel they responded in this game against North Carolina versus how they responded after the last pause against Georgia Tech? The energy level was there. That's for sure. Um, Tech came out in the first half and played as about as tough and rugged as you could possibly hope for, given that Tech was giving up a, a sizable advantage down low, not just in terms of height, but in terms of depth and toughness as it turned out in the second half um but tech tech battled and it wasn't just from the front court it was from all of the guys whether it came to denying entry to the ball in the post or 
doubling and forcing the ball to get kicked out, running guys off the three-point line. Uh, Tech played extremely um, doggish defense in the first half, and it was kind of disheartening to see them only up by three um, at halftime because of that effort. Because let's be serious here. Carolina is the more talented team. They just are. Um, Carolina, I don't think, is that much better of a team than Virginia Tech. But if if we're going off for pure unadulterated skills and talent, Carolina has a sizable advantage over Virginia Tech. I don't think that that's controversial. Now, five stars everywhere. Yeah. Um, Baycott and Walker Kessler and yeah, for, Iran for those Hayes. who for those who have short memories, Armando Baycott was one of the best players in the country uh, just a couple of years ago, and Buzz Williams was all over him and obviously didn't have any success signing him. But that's a different different pod. Um, so Tech's ability to hang tough for the first half was impressive, and they were able to hang tough, not just because of that, but because Tyrese Radford and Justin Mutz put on a hell of a show offensively that not that extended through halftime really for the entire game. And um, as we learned, that was not enough. It was not enough. I I'm with you. I, I think given the energy that tech displayed in the first half of that game and the fact that they did play really tough defense, they did keep North Carolina off the glass as much as they could in the first half. The fact that they were only up by three was a bit disheartening, but at the same time, I came away from it thinking, well, I wasn't anticipating that they would play this well coming off of another 11 day pause. Like this is better than I anticipated in the first half. I was a little bit disappointed as the second half wore on it seemed like Tech was just getting beat to a lot of loose balls. They were getting, obviously, beaten on the glass once again. They had defensive breakdowns that they didn't necessarily have in the first half. But a lot of that happens when you start to get tired. And I think it was clear from about the 12-minute mark on in the second half, Virginia Tech playing only seven or eight guys. Jalen Cohn didn't play once again. He's, you know, obviously was out for the ACC tournament, unlikely to play in the NCAA tournament, you know, not having another guy in your rotation, not wanting to play freshman Joe Bamisil a ton in this particular game against North Carolina, which I understand, it really shortens the rotation. And when you're coming off of a long layoff, it makes things a bit more difficult. Um, so I, I was a little bit disappointed that Tech couldn't finish it off in the second half, but it was clear kind of what was happening. Mike Young alluded to it in the post game, saying that, you know, the conditioning factor you can't really simulate a game against a team like North Carolina by practicing, which is what Virginia Tech was able to do during the second COVID pause that they weren't able to do during the first. They were able to practice because this was more of a contact tracing situation versus the first pause, which was due to multiple positives. So a bit different situation. Tech looked a bit more cohesive as a unit as far as how they were playing offensively and defensively throughout the game. But it was clear as the game went on, they were not necessarily in full-on game shape like you would expect them to be had they not paused. So North Carolina is certainly a more talented team um, in the front court. They have a lot of size. Justin Mutz was phenomenal in this game. His best game is a Hokie, in my opinion. He's continued to come along offensively uh, for the Hokies. He was really, really good. And against that North Carolina front line, it was hard to imagine Mutz going 10 of 16 from the floor with 24 points and eight rebounds, considering what those guys on North Carolina side of the floor were able to do against Notre Dame. So that's a really encouraging sign for the Hokies if Justin Mutz is able 
to carry that forward into the, into the NCAA tournament. On the flip side, Keve Aluma in 35 minutes only had nine points. He had eight rebounds on four of 13 shooting. He looked nervous out there, Ricky. Mike Young actually alluded to it in the postgame saying that he seemed a little like not sluggish, but a little bit just like nervous, like the lights were a little bit too bright, which is a pretty loaded statement from Mike Young considering how important Keve Aluma has been to the team this year, given that he was second team all ACC. So what did you think in particular of, of Mutz and Aluma in this game against North Carolina's front line and of the individual performances overall? I thought this game cemented Justin Mutz's status as like a 1B to Tyrese Radford's 1A. Like this team, even though KV Aluma was the second team all ACC on this team and, and, and he had himself a pretty good year, I think moving into next year and, and really throughout this tournament coming up for however how long it lasts, Tyrese Radford and Justin Mutz need to be scoring options one and two. Um, Justin Mutz has this, this, uh, this, this natural aggression with him that he, he has the ability to go get buckets and that's an overused phrase and it's overly simplified, but Justin Mutz has a bit of a dog in him. No pun intended. KV Luma does not have it. Um, I think KV is a talented player. I think he's smart. I think he is certainly useful and uh, he is important to what Virginia Tech does moving forward. But I don't see that same, um, that same aggression from Aluma on a night to night basis. And someone like Mutz, who has shown that kind of throughout the year, but just hasn't been usually doesn't get as many opportunities to score as he did in this game. I think they need to try and funnel him the ball more because I think he's capable of handling an offensive load of 16 shots. Now, maybe it's not going to be 16 shots every night, but it certainly feels like he should be getting 10 to 15 shots a night now. Um, he, he played as bad as well as I think anyone could have expected. And I don't think that that's a one-off. I think that that's something you're going to see moving forward. Now, for KV Aluma, his issue was, I don't know if it was necessarily him being exhausted, but he he started to look slow in the second half. He was a step behind Armando Baycott. He was a step behind all of Carolina's front guys. Um, Daron Sharp, uh, Walker Kessler, they were just getting to the ball faster than him. And there was a sequence in the second half around that same time stamp that you mentioned, Mike, where I think eight of Carolina's 10 points were scored off of putbacks and the other two was a turnover. Um, there was a, another a sequence in the game where Hunter, or excuse me, Hunter Couture had just an inexcusable turnover. And it sparked another Carolina run. And you, you just saw the wheels starting to come off. And you mentioned the, the, the pared down rotation. And I, I'm not really sure why this was a thing. But if you go back and look at the box score, six Hokies played 31 or more minutes. The only player that did not start the game that played more than five minutes was Hunter Couture. Um, that's not going to last against a team as talented and as deep as UNC. 
So I'm not really sure why Mike Young decided to only play Cordell Pemsel five minutes. Uh, I'm not really sure why David Gasson only got five minutes. I think that those guys need to get a bit more, uh, a bit more run because uh, 35 minutes for KV Aluma against that front court is going to be a dogfight as it is. And Justin Mutz played his ass off at 36 minutes. Tyrese Radford also logged 36 minutes. Um, that may work against a, a lesser team, but when you start to play these uber talented teams that in the recruiting rankings and in terms of pure talent have more, more weapons than you, you've got to be able to rely on some of your depth. And I think Pemsel and Gesson have played well enough this year to warrant a bit more run. Yeah, Ricky, one last point on the rebounding advantage for UNC. This is courtesy of Will Stewart from Tech Sideline. In the second half, North Carolina had 13 offensive rebounds and 15 second-chance points. They only had two offensive rebounds and two second-chance points in the first half. So that kind of gives you an idea of how North Carolina imposed their will in the second half um, with the Hokies getting more tired as the game went on and North Carolina just becoming stronger and better as the game went on, just like they did against Notre Dame. I mean, they went on that insane like 42-6 to six run or whatever it was against the Irish and obviously the Hokies are a much better team than Notre Dame, but North Carolina was able to do something similar in this game on the offensive class. So Virginia Tech exited uh, the ACC tournament with that loss. North Carolina would go on to the semifinal where they lost to Florida State, the eventual ACC tournament runner-ups. Georgia Tech won the ACC tournament. They continue to play really good basketball. They made the field. They are going to the big dance for the first time in quite some time. Um, so it's really cool. Virginia Tech is one of seven ACC teams in the field this year. And the Hokies ended up on the 10 line um, to face number seven, Florida. Um, Ricky, what were your first impressions of not only this matchup, but a lot was made going into this about where the Hokies would be seated. And I think that Tech is underseeded as a 10, but I also think that this is what happens when you don't play much over the course of a month. You know, people jump you. This is kind of the nature of what we're dealing with uh, playing college basketball during COVID. Some of the stuff's going to happen. I tend to think Tech did okay with the 10 seed, even though I think they're underseeded. I think you'd rather be underseeded than overseeded, and avoiding that 8 9 line is probably good considering what region the Hokies are in. But I want to get your impression on that. The seeding feels a bit all over the place for me. So let's start with Virginia and Florida State. They're both four seeds. So I think that's pretty fair. Um, yep. I, might, I might have Florida State a bit lower, but I think that's relatively close. Um, and actually, I, I, like, I don't mind where Georgia Tech and Virginia Tech are as a nine and a 10. Uh, but Clemson's a seven. Like, I I don't, I mean, I'm not really sure where that came from. Um, I agree. That, that one kind of caught me off guard. I think if you're going to make North Carolina, who, if you're going to penalize Virginia Tech for having a bad finish to the season and not playing a ton of the last two and a half months or so, however long it's been, it feels like it's been forever. um, That's fine. But I, if that's if that's going to be the criteria here, then why is North Carolina only an eight seed after they played so well towards the end of the year and beat Virginia Tech in the ACC tournament and absolutely murdered Notre Dame in the right. round before that? Um, so I, I'm not, I don't know, but 
all in all, I don't think the 10 spot is, is an unfair uh, line for Virginia Tech. Anything from 8 to 10, I think, would have been sufficient. And Tech really can't complain about their seeding because they, they did not play well to finish the year for obvious reasons. But getting off the 8-9 line is, is really important, um, especially when you consider this bracket. So Baylor's the one seed, right, in the South region. And Baylor is probably the second best team in the country behind Gonzaga. Yep. And they have been pretty consistent for most of the year, although they did get upset by Oak State in the Big 12 uh, tournament. Um, but Virginia Tech now, if they were to beat Florida, which is certainly within the realm of possibility, and we'll get into that more in depth here in a second, um, Tech gets Ohio State in the round of 32. And Ohio State's one of those weird-ass teams that um, fit – had a run where they won 10 of 11 yeah and then proceeded to lose four straight and then won three straight in the in the big 10 tournament so ohio state is about as hot as cold as hot and cold as it gets and right if you're virginia tech you'd obviously rather face ohio state than baylor so yeah um i think tech another reason tech has got shifted to the 10 maybe is because the eight in the same bracket as carolina and obviously you don't want to pit two conference teams together in the round of 64. Um, so Wisconsin tech, you're basically drawing straws at this point. So ultimately I don't think the Florida game is a bad matchup for tech. It's certainly winnable. Um, it's, I think it's a toss up right now. Most of the major, the major betting sites. And I think that that's yeah. pretty accurate. Yeah. No, I mean, Florida, Florida's a good team. They're not an unbeatable team. They play uh, in Mike, a good conference. The SEC was they pretty play good, in a good this conference. Year. Yeah, they play in a really good conference. Mike White's a good coach. Like, they got a lot of good stuff going for them. It won't be an easy game, but it's definitely a winnable game. And, you know, if you think back to what you were just talking about with Ohio State, you know, potential round of 32 game against the Buckeyes, like, that won't be an easy game either. But when you look across the bracket, I mean, if you draw the nine-loss two-seed that's been hot and cold at times that can lose – first of all, Ohio State – at times this year, like you mentioned, kind of the streaks that they went on, they looked like a top five team at times. Then they looked like a top 15 team, you know, when they kind of went on their losing streak. It was like, all right, this team's pretty good, but they might not be as good as we thought they were. Then they look good in the Big Ten tournament, and they lose a heartbreaker, obviously, uh, in the Big Ten tournament. But they are a very good team. I look at this, and I'm thinking, okay, I mean, if you're going to be in Baylor's region, this isn't the worst draw in the world. And the fact that the Hokies were able to avoid that 8-9 line, like say that Tech got that eight seed instead of North Carolina, and they were facing Wisconsin. That's a tough first-round matchup. I mean, Wisconsin has played a lot of good basketball this year in the Big Ten. They've been overshadowed by, I mean, look, there's Illinois, there's Michigan, there's Ohio State. Like, the Big Ten was as loaded as loaded can be this year. And Wisconsin was good, and they played some tough games against some really, really good teams. And at times they played well, at times they didn't, but they held their own most of the time. And that is an underrated Wisconsin team sitting there at the nine seed that I'm pretty thankful the Hokies didn't draw, quite quite honestly, because I looked at some of the, the brackets and some of the projections, and a lot of folks had Virginia Tech on that eight and nine line potentially facing off against Wisconsin. And I thought that would be a really tough game. I, I think Tech facing the seven seed Florida is actually a much easier matchup for them. 
Florida is not as big on their front line. They do have good guard play, but they're not as big on their front line as Wisconsin is. So avoiding that 8-9 matchup, I think, is is something that Virginia Tech fans can hang their hat on, even if you do believe that the Hokies are underseeded um, when playing at their best. My thought on this is that if Virginia Tech didn't go on pause in the month of February, they probably would have ended up as a 7 or an 8 seed. I don't think they were like drastically underseeded, but I do think only playing four games in 32 nights you know, that has to have an impact at some point with when other teams are able to take the floor. Fair or not, you know, I think a 10 seed, given the circumstances, is about right. And you could have argued eight through 10 for the Hokies, in my opinion. And I think the only way they would have had some more upside is if they played more games. So I think all in all, you got to be happy if you're if you're a Hokies fan to draw Florida in this first round matchup. As far as the game itself is concerned, Ricky, what are you looking for in this opening round matchup? against Florida, who do you think is the most important player for the Hokies um, as far as the, their success is concerned in this opening round game in order to get to a round of 32? Well, there's two guys, I think, um, neither of whom played particularly well against North Carolina. One is obviously KV Aluma. I don't think KV needs to be someone who's counted on to carry the offense, but he's got to be better than four of 13 shooting. Um, which is what he was against UNC. He was 0 for 3 from the three-point line. We talked about how he struggled on the glass in the second half. Florida doesn't have the front court depth that Carolina has. Um, Colin Castleton is pretty good, um, but he's not a world beater. And I don't think that KV is going to be in a situation where he's going to be kind of overwhelmed like he was in the second half against Carolina. Also, if you go back and look at KV Aluma's track record, when he's played poor games, he's generally rebounded pretty consistently. Um, that's a good sign. Also, I think he's probably going to have a bit of a fire under his ass because I, I'm, I'm pretty sure he's aware that he played a pretty large role in Tech's reason for losing that Carolina game. So I do think KV is going to come out and play better. The other one's Hunter Couture. Um, I thought Hunter looked pretty overwhelmed against Carolina. I mean, he played 20 minutes, took two shots, um, missed two free throws, turned it over twice, one of which was just inexcusable. Um, only one assist. He's He's got to be not only smarter with the ball, but he has to be more productive with the ball in his hands. One of the biggest weaknesses with this team is the lack of a secondary ball handler. That's someone who can run the point. We all know Wabisabidi's offensive limitations. They were on full display in the Carolina game as he went 0 for 5 and oftentimes looked extremely overwhelmed is, is the nice way I'll put it when he was attacking the rim. Um, Hunter Couture has to be a, a bit of a combo guard guy and I don't know what kind of minutes that Joe Bamisiel is going to get in this game. I hope it's more than five because I think tech needs a bit more explosiveness attacking the basket. Um, I'd like to see Darius Maddox maybe get a few minutes. Uh, but I think that Hunter Couture is going to have to play a little bit of that backup point guard role in this game. And he's got to do better than what he did against Carolina. I agree with you on Couture. A couple of things to keep an eye on here. Uh, Florida's two starting guards, Scotty Lewis and Trey Mann, are both 6'5". 
Um, they're sophomores. They're very productive players. Um, Scotty Lewis is more of a defender. Trey Mann is, you know, the, the leading scorer. I mean, Keontae Johnson played four games. We know, you know, he was sidelined with a heart condition. It was real scary. He's doing much better now, but he obviously hasn't played since early in the year. But Trey Mann is their leading scorer out of the guys who, who have played at 16 points per game. Um, shoots almost 40% from three, 45% from the floor. A very good offensive player. Uh, Scotty Lewis, a pretty good offensive player in his own right. When he does shoot, he's shooting almost 45% from the floor as well, even though he's only averaging 7.9 points per game. He's one of the best defenders in the country. Certainly one of the best defenders in the SEC, averages 1.6 steals per game. So he's very active defensively. He's a very tough matchup because of his size and length. Trey Mann, in the same manner on the offensive side of the floor, produces some problems. Now, Wabisabidi is one of the best perimeter defenders in college basketball. I'm comfortable saying that. Certainly one of the best in the ACC. He's a really good defender. The problem is that Wabisabidi is not six foot five. So I think Hunter Couture, who has come on very well defensively this year, has played really good basketball on that end of the floor. He's going to have to play more minutes and he's going to have to continue to um, be a solid defender for the Hokies, which is what he's done. Tech has played good de team defense all year. They're going to need to do it in this game. Getting to Colin Castleton, this is going to be a really important matchup um, for Keve Aluma and or Justin Mutz. Um, they're going to be seeing a lot of Castleton, and it's going to be interesting to see how the Hokies slow him down. Um, Joe Bamisil, your point about him playing more minutes, I think that might be more important in this game, certainly, than in the ACC tournament. And the reason why is not only because the game is, is a bigger deal, you're in the big dance, but because of his length, right? Um, you know, Bamisil is a bigger guy, you know, 6'4", six, 6'5", six, has the length. He is a freshman, though, so you got to, you know, pick your spots with him. But I think he could provide some helpful minutes off the bench for a guy like Hunter Couture, who's going to be expending a lot of energy on the defensive end of the floor. Offensively, I think the key to this game is obviously to get Aluma and Mutz going early. That's going to be the key in every game the Hokies play from here on out. But Tech's also going to need another guy on the wing to kind of emerge. Obviously, Rad, Tyrese Radford is going to get his, but in order to really put the Hokies over the top, a guy like Naheem Aline, who had a very bad first half against North Carolina, but a very good second half, if he much can build better. on that much better, hit, hit three or four threes, um, if he can come out and produce in the way that he did in the second half of the North Carolina game and build on that offensively, I think that's going to be key because a lot of Tech's primary scorers, I think, are going to have to play and exert more energy on the defensive end of the floor than they ordinarily would against this Florida offense that is very difficult to defend. So I, I think a guy like Naheem Aline offensively could turn into a bit of an X factor but I think it's really important defensively for a guy like Hunter Couture to step up and play well in this basketball game for all the reasons I just mentioned um, and all the difficulties that Florida can pr uh, produce um, with their offense. And it's, look, Florida is, is a good SEC team. This is a tough matchup for Virginia Tech, but it is winnable. And the Hokies are a very good team. And Mike Young is a very good coach. And his staff will have these guys ready to play. It's just going to be a matter of, you know, can these young players kind of turn the light switch on when the lights are the brightest? That's going to be the real question in this game. I'm eager to see kind of how they perform, Ricky. Yeah. I mean, this is, and this is something I wrote about um, for Dave Scarangella's Dulles District 
tech tech's playing with house money like tech doesn't need to win this game for this for this season to be considered a, a successful one tech has overachieved by leaps and bounds so they've surprised a lot of people i think they've surprised themselves in a lot of ways but Tech doesn't need to cap it off with an NCAA tournament win. Now, that being said, if they go out there and beat Florida, we're talking about one of the most surprising seasons in Virginia Tech basketball history in terms of what we expected and what we got. And given how wide open the field is, not just in this bracket, but in college basketball in general, and how up and down even the good teams have been, almost anyone is beatable on any given night. And that includes Virginia Tech. So they're almost in equal, like the percentages of Tech losing in the first round, winning, and then losing in the next round, and then advancing to the Sweet 16 are almost the same. Like, <laughs> I feel like they're, they're probably a little bit more likely that they lose or win and lose, but it's certainly foreseeable that they could beat Florida and then catch Ohio State on a bad night and beat Ohio State. Like, there's there's a lot of potential for Virginia Tech to cap this off in a fun, entertaining, interesting way. Um, but I don't think it's necessary for this season to be considered a success. I agree. I mean, bottom line is this team was picked 11th in the ACC at the start of the year. They are a 10 seed in the tournament, and the only reason they're not a higher seed is because they missed a month basically due to COVID. I mean, this has been an unbelievable year. If you look at it from the beginning of the season and what the expectations were, everything from here on out would be a cherry on top. But I think a lot of Virginia Tech fans would love to see the Hokies obviously win a game or two in this tournament, given how well the team has played this year, Ricky. Um, it would be a little bit of a disappointment to see them go out in the round of 64 when you consider how well they've played all year. But when you think back to what the preseason expectations were, I'm with you. This is all just kind of gravy and house money at this point, given what they were expected to do this year and just kind of how they came out and played. This has been an unbelievable coaching job by Mike Young, well-deserved ACC coach of the year honor. He did an excellent job with this group. Better X's and O's coach, in my opinion, than Buzz Williams. Buzz gets the most out of his programs and, and the way that he builds it. And they're both good at different things, but Mike Young, given the talent they has on the roster, what he was able to do and the buy-in he was able to get, in year two, I mean, it's significant that they were able to do this this quickly and get back to the NCAA tournament. Um, just a heck of a coaching job, and the needle is certainly pointing up for this basketball program, Rick. For sure. And when you consider who they are adding for next year, uh, which I think will be kind of the last topic we hit on for the pod, Storm Murphy from Wofford is pretty pretty exciting for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not going to go to the length that say that this is the guy that makes them an ACC title contender, <laughs> but because I think there's a few more things that need to happen. But um, I think this kid can definitely compete at the ACC level. We've seen what Mike Young has done, bringing guys that he either had already brought to Wofford or were going to bring to Wofford and what they've done so far in KV Luma and Hunter Couture. And now you get a guy in Storm Murphy who averaged something like 17 points a game over there with Wofford and shows the kind of creative playmaking ability that Virginia Tech sorely lacks um, in spades. They have it a little bit with Tyrese Radford. Um, they have it a little bit in Naheem Aline. 
Joe Bamasiel is supposed to grow into that, but bringing in another guy who can go get buckets from the perimeter and create opportunities for other people, that's an exciting proposition. Adding a guy who can provide a scoring punch in the backcourt is huge. And the veteran leadership, the fact that he's played under Mike Young before, he's play, played with Kevin Aluma at Wofford, um, the fact that he's going to be able to come in now in the ACC, there's no reason to believe that he wouldn't be able to adapt and play well. Ricky, to your point, I mean, Mike Young's done a nice job bringing in guys like Couture, who was recruited to play at Wofford. Guys like Kevin Aluma, who is now second team all ACC, again, played at Wofford under Mike Young. Justin Mutz and what he's been able to do, his late season emergence on the offensive end. He's been really good on defense all year, but coming from Delaware into the ACC and now all of a sudden becoming a true scoring threat at forward for the Hokies and kind of a late bloomer offensively. Like these guys are coming back next year. Now you add Storm Murphy into the mix as well to provide a little bit more of an offensive scoring punch and a guy who's familiar with Mike Young's system and what he wants to do. I think it's a pretty significant addition. I think we knew the writing was on the wall when Storm Murphy announced that he was going to use his graduate transfer and leave Wofford. We knew that Virginia Tech at the very least would be in the mix to land him. And he made his decision pretty quickly. I think it was less than 72 hours later from the time he announced that he was leaving Wofford to the time he announced that he was coming to Blacksburg to join Mike Young. This is he's, a big deal. He's kind of what I was hoping Cartier Jara would be. Yeah. Um, but I think Storm Murphy is going to be a, a more productive player than for sure higher um, offensive upside for sure yeah and, and that's I think that's what tech lacks is someone who can create um outside of Tyrese Radford and if you if you give me a backcourt of Radford Murphy and either um Aline or Bama Seal I think you're starting to look at a really really impressive backcourt in terms of what they can do offensively. Now, defensively is a bit of a, a, a different discussion, um, and we'll have to see exactly what Storm Murphy can do there once he gets to Tech and starts to play better competition. But offensively, I think that that's going to be quite a potent group, especially when you pair that with um, a KV Luma and a Justin Mutz. Totally agree. Um, so Virginia Tech, things are looking up on the basketball side. Again, they play on Friday afternoon at 12.15. They are the first game in the round of 64. You got Raftery, you got Jim Nance on the call. This is a big-time game to start off the NCAA tournament. It's exciting. And I'll be at work. One. And Rick will be at work. <laughs> how, I work do, from home, do you eyes know, glued to the television. Do you know how frustrating that was to see Tech get that, that time <clears throat> slot on a Friday? You're going to have to uh, record that one, Big Rick. What's the point? The game will have been broken down and analyzed by the time I get off. This That's is a waste true. Of time. Probably by me. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to have to follow it on Twitter at work and try and sneak on my phone. And and then that way I can be somewhat intelligent when it comes time to break the game down. But yeah, that, that time slot was really frustrating. It is cool that Jim Nance and Bill Rafferty are going to be on the call, but damn, 12? Come on, dude. Yeah, well, you never know, you know, depending on what happens. Some of us, some of us aren't, aren't as lucky as the the almighty Michael McDaniel and can right. work from home and record podcasts whenever I need to. That's right. That's right. It's a blessing Lucky and a guys. curse, Rick. It's a blessing and a curse. Curse? Are you <laughs> kidding me? Curse. <laughs> it's a blessing and a curse. Um, so we'll try to come back and record. I 
clearly like, Andrew what, is not coming for this. Andrew's podcast. not coming, so we're gonna get out of here. Um, but before we, we do that, back, Main Street Pharmacy. If you're in Blacksburg, you yep. need to go to Main Street Pharmacy. You're gonna enjoy it way more than CVS. You're gonna enjoy it way more than Rite Aid. You're gonna enjoy it way more than any other of those pharmacy chains you can think of. They treat you like a neighbor, not a number. They're locally owned. They support Virginia Tech Athletics. If you are a Virginia Tech fan and you want to invest in a business that has the same values that you do and is interested in supporting Virginia Tech like you are, Main Street Pharmacy is the clear option. Go see Jeremy. That completely off the top. I do not have a script for Main Street Pharmacy, but take that, Andrew. You can try and do better next time. Yep. Um, you showed up, Rick. You showed up. <laughs> I, I couldn't let us go throughout the pot without thanking Jeremy. And yes. Andrew, that's it. That's like Andrew's job because he does it for a living is thanking yes. Jeremy. Yes, that's correct. <laughs> and that's the fact correct. that he's not here on the pod to do that, so one of us had to do it. So I figured, forget it. Might as well be me. May as well be you. Um, we'll have Andrew rate that read by you when he gets back and we'll see yes. what he says. Um, yes. So, Andrew, I know you'll listen to this. No, so no criticisms allowed. Yeah, no criticisms, <laughs> only good things. Um, but yeah, Rick, we'll uh, we'll see how Tech plays on Friday. Maybe we'll try to get a recording in in between games. We'll see what happens. Um, yeah, I think if they win, I think we would be remiss to try and not get a recording in this yep. weekend. Yep. If they lose, chances are we'll probably wait till the end of the weekend. But yep. um, hopefully we'll be doing the first one and we'll be getting multiple pods. And if they make it through the weekend, boys, it, it's going to be uh, it's going to be a fun one. It's going to be a party on the podcast next week if they win two in the first in the first weekend and they get to the yeah. Sweet Sixteen. We're going to have we'll, a party. We'll be on this taking Hoopy Hangover to a level we haven't taken it to since a very long time. Drink till we actually have a hangover. <laughs> so uh, we'll come back and do that. Uh, go check out Ricky on Twitter at Ricky LeBlue. I changed my Twitter handle again. I'm at Mike McDaniel SOS for all the Sons of Saturday stuff because I'm not just writing for text site. I'm writing for several now. So it's Mike just, McDaniel, save our ship. Save our ship. <laughs> save this wonderful ship. Um, so go check that out. Go check Andrew's radio show out. He's at, at Andrew Alex Radio on Twitter. And Rick will be back next week. Hopefully we have a couple wins to talk about, or at least one win to talk about. We can come back and recap uh, the opening game against Florida. So we'll see what happens, but hopefully we can talk this weekend. Go Hogies. Mm-hmm.